welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I just thought, having had holidays, it would be great to have a stock take. Not where we flog off all the things that are, you know, in the building. But, you know, every business has a stock take. And I think it's right for us as Christians, individuals, to have a stock take of your life. Because so often it's easy to have a moment with God, then just get on with your life. And because you had a moment... You feel that that's enough and it will never suffice. That moment in and of itself is not enough. And that is true for us as a church. And I thought it would be fitting over the next two weeks that we just take some time and remind ourselves of the purpose of this church, the vision of this church, both on a big scale and then next week we want to look at it on a smaller scale because on February 1, whatever it was this year, we looked at some things we wanted to achieve this year. And some of those things we're, we have achieved already, some of those things we're on the way to achieving, and some of those things we will not achieve. And so it's kind of like an accountability service to our Vision Sunday. And that's going to take place next week. But this week is all about the big vision and the big picture. But what I thought might be good just to set the scene is to break bread together which is not in our run sheet. That was going to be at the end. So we're just going to mess with it, okay? So if you're involved in that in any way, shape or form, look at them all running. Oh my God, okay, when he does this. Someone's in the back going, was I meant to prepare communion? (laughs) But it's really, really sweet for us to be able to gather together. Reading a book... And in the introduction of this book, it said this, and it challenged me. So if you was on a deserted island for 20 years and all you had was the Bible to read and then was brought back into civilization, would you be shocked at the state of the church? In other words, if all you had was the Bible as your reference as to what church should be and what Christians should look like and act and how they should speak, I think we'd be shocked. I think we'd be shocked at what we pass as Christianity. I think a lot of Christians are nothing more than Christian atheists. And that's why it's good that we have a stock take of our lives. Because we can be on fire one day, absolutely. Where God is the absolute pinnacle of our lives, but within a week lose that. Who knows what I'm on about? And so it's good that we come together in times like this. And that's what the communion is all about. It's about checking our heart. The Bible says that we should not eat of the bread or drink of the cup if we've got unforgiveness in our heart toward anyone. It's a stock take time. Every time we take communion, it's a stock take time. If we're loving money more than we're loving God, we we should say, God, forgive me. It's not just about eating and drinking and let's get that over with. It's not about doing it once a week, once a month, once a year. It's about doing it with an intent and purpose of honouring God in our lives. 
And I want to encourage every person in this place, whether you are a Christian or not, to use this next moment as we sing this song to ask some hard, good, godly questions. Because it's so easy to project upon the church. So many Christians are sick to death of the church. And they think the answer is to then give up on her and talk badly about her and blog on Facebook about her. And that's never the issue. The issue is our relationship with God. And I love God, I do. But I know in my life there are times that other loves in my life begin to take first place and second place. Anyone know what I'm on about? Or is it just me? There's some days I'm so on fire. And there's other days I'm so lukewarm. And thank God for the church and thank God for people in my life and thank God for the Holy Spirit that kicks me up the backside. To remind me of what's most important. That's what these moments are all about. And so we just close our eyes just for a moment before we ask you to stand and sing and just do business with God. And let God, by His grace, break down some of the preconceived ideas that may be built up in your minds. Let God speak to you this morning because He wants to. He really does. And then by God's grace, I'd like to speak to you after that if that's all right. God, the Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place that we may not leave this place the same as we came. We love church. We love people. We love you. But if we're honest, there are times when things get in the way and we're asking your Holy Spirit to Remove the blinkers from our eyes as we worship you. That no matter how we came this morning, we may leave as lovers of God. Those that had their eyes on the problems, those that had their eyes on the pleasures, those that had their eyes on other things, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you'd arrest us, that we may see you afresh, that we could truly exalt you high and above all other things all other circumstances, all other people. I pray for those who are in this place who wouldn't call themselves Christians, you would minister to them and illuminate your truth to them this morning as you have so many of others, so many of us in days, weeks and years gone by. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Will you stand with me, church? We're going to sing... A small piece of bread and a small cup's going to come past. If you're a believer in Christ, we'd love for you to take that cup and take that bread, hold on to it. We're going to eat and drink in a moment. The Bible says when we do that, we do it in remembrance of Him. If you're not a believer or you're not sure what this whole Christian deal's about, why don't you just let the bread go by, let the cup go by, but use this opportunity to say, God, if you're real, if you're real show yourself to me. And He will. He will. The Bible says if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened. Amen. Thanks be. I will
Wonderful Lord. Let's just begin to thank Him. Say thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. 
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your persistence. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your courage. Oh, you're an incredible God. And we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that you saw us. You looked through the cross, not just at the cross, but you looked through it in a moment of time and saw 2,000 years from that moment a people being set free, a people coming to a place of surrender, a people finding joy, a people finding hope, a people finding purpose. We thank you, our God and our King, that you look beyond the cross and into the lives of people who will be changed forever and all time. We thank you, our God. We thank you, our King, that you never gave up, you never gave in, you never surrendered, but you gave up to God and your life was lifted up and exalted to the highest place that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And we declare today that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are holy, and we worship and adore you and honour you, our God and King. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Church, right now, in this moment of gratitude and honour and praise, I want us to take the bread and eat, and I want us to take the cup and drink and do it in remembrance of an incredible God who loves us, saves us, heals us, and delivers us. Let's drink right now in Jesus' Name. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Let's begin to lift our voice right now and praise Him. Give Him honour. Give Him glory. Shout to the Lord. He is worthy of honour. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are good. You are good. You are good. Your love and your mercies endure forevermore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. All glory, all honour, all power, all praise to you, our God. Oh, we see you this morning high and lifted up, seated the right hand of the Heavenly Father in absolute authority, control, all glory, power, praise to you, our God, to you, our King. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Everyone grateful in this place for the freedom we have in Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Please grab your seats so our attendants can come and pick up our cups. That would be great. Maybe pass them along to the end of the aisles. That would be great. Kath was right when she said we had a great time while we were away. Stayed in one of the dodgiest motels in the history of hotel motels. I don't know if you grew up in those horror movies where, you know, a young backpacking couple stayed in a motel and then some guy with a balaclava comes and stabs them to death. We stayed in one of those places. And so when Kath and I slept, we slept on watch. It's kind of like, uh, who's going to kill us? Have you finished playing? Okay.
You can go. It's all right. Thank you. Thank you, our musicians. They do a great job. But my point behind the story is that we had uh, a great time, but it's great to be back. Uh, and uh, it's great to see your wonderful, loveling, smiling faces. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, this morning, I want to speak about something that I've entitled stock take, as I've already mentioned. And I went to the dictionary to look up what stock take means, and it simply means the reviewing and assessing of one's situations and options. And so that's what we're going to do right now over the next two weeks. Um, today, we want to look at the big vision. We want, to, we want to look afresh at our vision statement of the church. And next week, we want to look at the things we shared in February that we want to hopefully achieve in 2010. And so that's kind of like an accountability service to what we shared in February. I don't know about you, but I hate it when people say they're going to do something and don't do it. You know, the Bible says that it's better to say you're not going to do it than actually do it, than to say you're going to do something and then not do it. I I don't know about you, but I get really frustrated when someone says they're going to do something, but don't do it. And I get really blessed when someone says, I'm not going to do it, but surprise you by doing it. Amen? And uh, that's written in the Bible. It's a story Jesus told. And so we're we're going to hold ourselves accountable to what we shared in February. Um, but today we're going to look at the, the big picture and the big vision. This is hopefully something you've all heard before. And, uh, because I, and I don't apologise for that because I want us as a church to know our vision. I want us to know that. Someone asked me recently, what motivates you? Why is it that you can seem to remain highly motivated? And my answer was quick and simple. My motivation comes from what I want to share with you this morning. It's our vision. And the Bible says, and rightly so, that without a vision, we perish. NIV says it this way, without a vision, we cast off restraint. We, we don't do the tough things. Because why would you want to do tough things if there's no point or purpose to it? There's only one reason we're not going to give, that's going to stop us giving up. There's only going to be one thing that's going to cause us to do the tough things. And that's because we have a purpose and a vision to our lives. And it's with this in mind, I want to highlight to you the purpose and the vision of this church. And and like everything, we've tried to simplify it down so it's easy to remember. The trouble is in that is that we don't want it just to become a mantra. We don't want it just to become a slogan. We don't want it to become rhetoric. We don't want it to become something that you can recite but don't live out. And so there's always this danger. We simplify it so it's easy to remember, but we don't want to kid ourselves that because we remember it, we're doing it. And so we've made it simple to remember, but I want it to be something far more than just a memory verse or a slogan or something that we say. But I want it to be something that we own, something that motivates us to action. And with that in mind, the vision of this church is clear and simple. And it's simply this, that we believe that as a local church, we exist to connect people to God, to to connect people to His church, and to connect people to their purpose. And it's ownership of this sentence and this statement that will be the driving force behind why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do. We do. 
In other words, if we don't have a why behind the what, we're going to give up easily. I remember reading a book years ago by John Maxwell, Developing the Leader Within You, and he told this little story, as he does often in those books that he writes, of the World War II uh, seamstresses. Is that a seamstresses? Is that right? Seamstress. The ones that sewed the parachutes for those that were in battle and in war. And I don't know about you, but just to sew a whole heap of material, you know, particularly a parachute, it's, it's not overly appealing, particularly to creative women types who maybe would like to be sewing and, and doing a dress or something a little bit more uh, kind of interesting than just some big bland thing called a parachute. And to motivate the ladies to continue to sew those parachutes and not just sew them, but to sew them well, they attached a vision behind what they were doing. They said, we want you to see the faces of the young men that will be falling from the skies underneath the parachutes that you are putting together today. And it was with that in mind that the ladies continue to sew and sew and sew. And the boring and the mundane was done consistently and consistently well because of this vision that our young men need us to be on our game. Can you imagine these ladies just saying, oh, that'll do. And some guy falls out the plane and oh, it won't do for him. And so maybe, you know, as we go in life and we kind of think, oh, you yeah, know, that'll do. Uh, maybe it won't do for those that we're trying to reach as a church. We have to attach what we're doing with a purpose because without that purpose, we're never going to do. You know, Jesus felt the weight and the pain of going to the cross. And the Bible says it was for the joy set before him that he endured. In other words, he looked into the future. He looked into, he looked into um, uh, 2,000 years from now and he saw us and he said, you know what, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through the blame the pain, the shame. I'm going to go through all of those things because there's a company of people that are going to find freedom, hope and life and purpose and meaning as a result of my suffering. And I'm not, I don't want to lead you astray. When you say yes to Jesus, there is an element of suffering that you will experience. Oh, that ruined it, didn't it? Maybe, you know, we thought Tony was going to come back on holiday and he's going to be all upbeat. I am, I'm upbeat, but I'm telling you, this is where it's at. But what keeps me motivated is what I want to share with you this morning. Because it's more than just what we're doing. There's a why behind everything we do in the life of this church. You know, you came to this church this morning and there were people that got here earlier than you did to make sure this place was clean and it was warm enough so that when you walk in, And you know what? It wasn't for them that they were doing it. It was for the sake of others. And you know what? When you've been on the cleaning roster for a week, a month, a year, it can kind of get a little bit, you know, tedious. But the thing that's going to keep motivating us to do that is reminding ourselves that there's something bigger at stake. And so whether you're on the car park, whether you're cleaning rosters, whether it's on the worship team, whatever it is, we're asking you to remember what I'm about to share today, that that will give you the motivation to keep on doing it. Because there's this notion in Christian circles that if you've been a Christian for five years, you've done your dues. You know, I've been leading, some people say, I've been leading a connect group for five years, I want a break. I'm just glad Jesus didn't take a break. 
I'm glad my dad didn't take a break from me. We've got people in this church that are glad that their friends that led them to Christ didn't take a break and didn't give up on them no matter how hard it got for the joy set before us. I look at this building as it's filling up and I think of all the junk that we went through, all the pain that we went through, some of the arguments that we had to go through in order to get this building up. But to see it filling up, it's, it's for the joy set before us that we do it. There were people that were kind of just painting and there were people that were plastering and there were people that were building and there were people that were stuffing insulation. You know, they, they had better things to do. They had families to look after. They had jobs to go to. They, they had just things they wanted to do. But for the joy set before them. And that's how we motivate people, with a vision. Without a vision, we perish. Without a vision, we're always going to put things in the too hard basket. And so it's with that in mind, I want to go through these three things very quickly again. The first thing is simply this, that we believe that as a church, we exist to connect people to God. Because we are created to worship God. Every person on the planet has been created by God to worship God. The chief aim of man is to worship God and to enjoy Him Forever. And as I said on my last preach before I left, if we don't worship God, we will worship something or someone else. I'm not a worshipper, some people say. No, every person on the planet is a worshipper. Last night, or sorry, yesterday afternoon, there were many people in Adelaide that got their worship fix as they went down to Amy Stadium and watched Port Power actually win a game. They've lowered their standards so much that they call two in a row a winning streak. I mean, it's ridiculous. And we had people in the teal and the white and the black worshipping, lifting their hands, shouting, all the things the Bible says we should do to God. Stand up. Oh, do I have to? In the football, they're standing. Lift your hands. Do I have to? In football, they're lifting their hands. Shout. Oh, I'm not a shouter. And yet at the football, they're like, oh, you're stupid. <laughs> we'll worship something or someone else if we don't worship God. In Matthew 22, verse 36, it says, Jesus said, not Tony. So if you reject this, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting Jesus and his word. Love the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, there are many ways in which we can love God. There are many ways in which we can show our worth to God. That's all worship is. It's showing our worthship. Letting God know that he's worth it. That's what worship is. When we come to church, when we're tired, we're showing them, no, no, you're worth it, Lord. You're worth me getting off my lazy self and coming and worship. You're worth it. And when we get an offer to go to somewhere else, instead of going, we say, no, no, you're, you're worth it, Lord. You're worth the sacrifice. You're worth the pain. You're worth the inconvenience. You're worth it when I give my finance and tithes and offerings and building. You are worth it. That's what worship is. It's us saying, you are worth it. But when we no longer give and we no longer come and we no longer sacrifice, we're saying, you're not worth it. Ah, it's not worth it. That's what worship is. 
And there's many ways we can show our worth. We can show it in our singing. We can show it in our dancing. We can show it in our praying. We can show it in our listening. We can show it in our giving. We can show it in our serving. But I believe one of the greatest expressions of our love for God is seen in our love for people. Love the Lord your God and love people. One of the greatest ways we can say you are worth it is by not giving up on people. To say you love God and give up on the church is to say, God, you're not worth it. This thing, this, this creation called people, it's not worth it. There's not a perfect church on the face of the planet. But I tell you, it's worth going to church. Because that's what Jesus died for. He's worth it. And people are worth it. Are you with me this morning? See, those that have been connected to God want to connect others to God. That should be the way it is. You know, every Port Adelaide supporter that I know wants you to go for Port. They tell you how good Port is and they're the best team and they've got the biggest history and they've got this and who won. And then they, when they're not doing well in the AFL, they go to the SNFL and say, we won 10 grand finals in a row and we did the blah, blah. And they just, they want you to be a worshipper with them. It's natural when you love something, you want others to be part of it. And so that's why we exist, to connect others to God. It's the greatest gift we can give to a person is telling them about Jesus. It really is. Pete was telling me just this week of some of the incredible people in this church that have recently responded to God. And some of the stories that have come out of that. And I said, wouldn't it be great to hear from some of them? And some of them are just a little bit too shy to get up here. But I, I thought it'd be fantastic if I just you know, share some of the stories of, of some of the people's lives. Because so often we're just caught up in our own world. That we don't understand what's taking place in this church right here, right now. We say, where God? Where's God? God's here. Doing some incredible things in some incredible people's lives. There's a woman in this church by the name of Candace. I don't know if she's in the meeting right now or she's out the back or whatever. She's in with the kids. Isn't that all? She's a new Christian, but she's not in here listening, just getting her fix. She's actually helping. I love new Christians. I love that. And uh, this, is, this is her story in a, in a nutshell, um, that her life was a mess. If you, when you meet Candace, having heard this story, you're not going to believe me because you know, she doesn't look like the kind of girl that would kind of adopt this lifestyle, but she was getting drunk and stoned every night of the week. I can't believe, I look at this sweet little girl, I can't believe it, but she was. You know, she's like, she's <laughs> like, what? Little Candace, cute Candace, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And then she had a friend, an annoying friend who went to this church. And her name's Kathy Bennett, who's part of our worship team. And she kept asking in a church and asking in a church and asking in a church. And she'd go, no. I'm, I'm having fun with it, Pete. Okay, just, I'm just go with me, all right. I gave her the opportunity to share, but if she's not, I'm going to share it my way. All right. <laughs> And Kathy's persisting with him, persisting with him, persisting with him. It's no, 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 no. But then there was one day, a fateful day, 
when she wasn't drunk or stoned, and it happened to be a Sunday. And this is what she thought. I mean, God's working behind the scenes in all of this. And she thought, you know, beings I'm not stoned and not drunk, which is not often, I might as well go to church and get Kathy Bennett off my back. And she comes to church, and over a period of weeks, her life begins to change as she commits her life to Christ and gets delivered from addictions. Isn't that awesome? And that's happened just recently in this church, but she's not even here in the meeting today because she's actually out helping. Some of you have been Christians for years and you don't do a thing. That's why we're having a stock take. You don't do a thing. You know, if I asked the volunteers about their hands, I bet they'd be in the first half of this auditorium, which is sad. I said, who helps in this church? No, don't do it. It'd be too embarrassing. That's why we need to be reminded. I'm not here to, I'm not here to say bad, but I'm just like, come on, we can slip. And the thing is, some of us, when we first got saved, we actually did give. But there's not a time frame on it. It's not like I'll give you, you'll be Lord of my life for five years and then I'll get on with my life. It's just forever. There's another young lady by the name of Tina. And Tina has come to this church initially through Girls Own and Play Group. And it's been a little by little, slowly but surely, process with her. And in coming to those meetings, received incredible opposition at home with a husband. Some of you are nodding because you know who it is and you know the story. You know it even better than I do. And she, she, she's nodding. Uh, she's nodding. You're nodding. <laughs> but she's copying all this incredible opposition. But in the opposition, she's getting more and more support from the church. People like Tori, people like Fiona. Uh, a phone call from Mick. She comments about this phone call from Mick. I mean, like, who would have thought a phone call would be so powerful and memorable? She comes to Christ, and this is what she says. She says, God didn't just save me, he saved my marriage. And this is what she says, she sa- he saved my marriage because of the things that God has taught her and how God has changed her. Not her husband, but her. When you give your life to Jesus, he's going to change you. Don't give your life to Jesus so he'll change your husband. Give your life to Jesus so he'll change you. And she's learned some things like, you know, uh, I used to just go off the handle, I used to just talk, but now I've learned to be quiet and listen. It's an amazing thing. And so God has saved this woman and saved the marriage. And that's why we exist. You know, there are some times when you pick up on my frustration, it's because when I think about the majority of people not getting involved in people's lives, because this is why we're here. We're not here just to critique the worship team. Some of us think we, you know, yeah. Some of us, I think we, we've, we've so lost the point, we've so lost our vision, we think our purpose in life now is to keep the church accountable. That's not what you're here for. We're here to change, become more like Him. Irene. We're going to put all these on video testimonies. Irene came to this church through incredible circumstances. 
Basically, her and her sister weren't talking for many years. Can you imagine sisters not getting on? Can you imagine? Does that ever happen in any other family? (laughs) Well, this was like that, but a whole nother level, you know? And many years went by before they spoke. And and I I don't want to do this story injustice, but this is my understanding based on what I've heard, listening to both sides a number of times. Wendy felt in God to reconnect with her sister and made that awkward, embarrassing, what do I say, phone call. And says, you know, how about we catch up? And Irene said, she didn't make it easy, she said no. Hung up. But then God is working in the circumstance and situations and changing Irene's heart. And so they do catch up and they do talk. And Wendy brings Irene to church and she gets saved. And there's reconciliation between sisters, which is awesome. And that's why we're here. I'm not doing any of these stories any justice. They're so much bigger. They're so much better. They're so much more powerful. And I'd encourage you to get alongside these ones and listen to their stories. Be blessed. Get filled with vision afresh. And, 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 do, and use it to motivate yourself to get involved in people's lives. You know, God can do whatever. But he wants to work with us. We've got to give, something, we've got to give God something to use. Who, who, who's in your world right now? That you can say you're actively pursuing by the grace of God. Who right now? When's the last time you, 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 you went out on a limb and said, hey, look, this may sound weird to you because you know, I, I know there's a lot of religion and it's weird out there, but I, I want to tell you about my life. I've got a friend of mine that I caught up with recently. There's a bit of a journey been going on with her as we reconnected, not rehooked up, whatever. We, we reconnected through Facebook and caught up with her again this week. And the question she asked was this, is your religion one of those that says you can't have sex before marriage? What do you say? And you might, you might think, that's why I don't want to have those moments because I get too awkward. But I'm like, thank you God that I'm in this situation. And the, the, the answer I give can, can honor you or dishonor you. And I can say, oh no, we're a pretty liberal church, you don't have to worry about that. Just come. And that's... That would be to dishonor God. To just leave it open-ended and say, that's right, we're one of those. Ha, 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 ha. I say that because I'm married. Ha, 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 it's awesome. You know, no, that wouldn't help. I think, Lord, what, it, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, I need your help here. The Bible says, don't be afraid of what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words at the time. And that's why I'm a great believer in reading your Bible every day because you've got to have something to bring to your remembrance. If you've got nothing inside, the Holy Spirit can't bring to your remembrance anything. He can only bring to your remembrance what you know, what you've learned, what you've read, what you've heard. And so I start talking about the nature of relationships. To have a list of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, that's that's not a religion I belong to. In actual fact, I don't even like religion, I said. I love Jesus. And he's changed my life. And I've caught his heart. And I see there are some things he asked me to do that are for my own benefit. And then I see there are some things he asked me to do that are for the benefit of others. 
And so when you asked me that question, I said, it's not a simple yes or no. But to understand why I come up with my answer, you've got to know this man. And I said, have you ever said you're not going to do something and then fell in love with a man and found yourself doing what you said you wouldn't do? I said, that's how I feel about Jesus. There's many things I'm doing right now I said I'd never do. But I fell in love with a man and he's changed my world forever. When's the last time, church, you've had a conversation like that with someone who doesn't go to church and doesn't know Jesus? If it's a week, a month, a year, a decade, it's getting too long. We should be looking for opportunities. And if we're not looking for opportunities, we lose the point of why we come. But you start doing this, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be seeing church as a lifeline. When you start getting asked questions you don't have the answer for, you won't be told to read the Bible. You'll say, I, I need to know. And I share these things because you know what? Without us getting involved in them, church will get boring. Becoming a Christian will get boring. Because without a vision, everything does. And without that vision continually driving and motivating you, you're not going to do what we should be doing. Is this making sense this morning? And so we exist to connect people to God. We also exist to connect people to the church. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says it was his intent that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. God has a plan for the church. Yes, there's a universal church which encompasses and comprises of all believers that have ever been on planet earth. But there's also a local church that God wants us to belong to. It's the family of God for us. And God wants us to belong to that family because it's that family where we receive accountability, love, support, discipline, correction, whatever it is that we need. It's that place where we can actually bring somebody. See, we don't want people just to come to God. We want them to be connected to the church. Because it's a church that's family and God's all about family. The family language that's in the Bible is incredible. We want people to belong to a family. Can you imagine a mother giving birth to a baby and in the excitement, fantastic, new birth, awesome, and then just walking away from the hospital leaving the baby? That would be neglect. It would be stupid. It would be insane. People know that that child would need a baby. That child needs a family. Without that family, that child's an orphan. For us just to say, man, it's great that people come to Christ, but don't get involved in the church, is to forsake the family. And it's the family unit in society that makes it strong or bad, depending on where the family's at. And so we want people to be connected to the church. Why? Because most of what God has for us is in others. It's not just in you. You know, who's ever received one of those prophetic words? It's incredible. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do the others. Well, that will only come to pass when you're around others. Because for that word to come to pass, it's going to take others to help you. In actual fact, these ones, like Irene and like Candace, and these ones that I've already mentioned to you, part of their testimony is being part of the church has been so helpful because they've needed help. It's not just the excitement of getting saved, it's the excitement of receiving family that can help them through circumstances and situations that come their way. It's the local church that's the place where we give and are given to. It's the local church where we serve and are served. It's the local church where we are loved and we love. It's the local church where we learn and we teach. 
You know, Riley Jones just received a job promotion this week, which is fantastic. And I love that because he wants to do it for a purpose, because he's been on night shift for six years, and he's heads up our maintenance team here at the church, and he just wants to give himself more to God. Meanwhile, his wife, uh, Sally, has been uh, just giving her Friday to us as a church. She sits behind the reception desk. She doesn't receive any financial remuneration for that. She just comes and, and, and just serves because there's a need in the church. Sorry? Oh, on your south. Where is she? Sally Jones. She's here somewhere. She's just awesome. And, and so when, when, when Riley's going for a job, he thought was, you know, a little bit batting above his weight. He just kind of thought, I don't really think I should get this job, but I'm just going to go for it. And I just think, my goodness me, isn't it incredible? And, and who knows that the difference wasn't his wife just being willing to sit behind a desk. And it's not that she just sits there, it's just that she does it every week and she does it with a great attitude. And Riley said this, he said he had to do all these psych tests and this and that. And I said, oh, how'd you go in that? <laughs> and one of the questions that was asked of him was this, um, how do you go meeting new people? And, and, and prior to coming to church, he was the stoner that he was. And he was very introspective and introverted. And he hated meeting new people. And one thing that he has learned at church is to open himself up and meet new people. It's been forced upon him and he's thrived in it. And it's now one of the things that he loves and he attributes that to something he's learned at church. Who knows that if it wasn't for the church, he may never have got that job. Isn't that awesome? We want to see people connected to the church. Which brings me to our third point. We want to see people connected to their destiny and to their purpose. We want to see people experiencing purpose in their life. The biggest question people have out there is, what's the point of life? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of it all? Well, when you find God, you get that purpose. You understand that actually we're not here by accident. Actually, we're here for a purpose. And there's a point to why we are here. Some people change vocations. Like myself, I'm now full-time in ministry. But can I just say this? Every one of us is full-time in ministry, no matter what you're doing. And you've just got to equate what you're doing with kingdom perspective. And understanding that you know, God has placed me where I am in order to reach people that Tony can't because of where he is. Not, well, if I was a pastor, I'd be able to do it. That's not the point. The point is that people would come into their destiny and understand that there's actually more to life than just sucking in air. Some people literally will get up this morning, they'll go to the toilet, they'll breathe, they'll eat, and they'll go to the toilet again, and they sleep, and they do it all again. And they do that for 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, and call that living. That's not living. And to just kind of fill a few areas of boredom, they earn more money to be able to do more things, and that's not living. You can travel the world and do all these incredible things, and it looks so inciting. You know, I was watching a film the other day, and I thought, man, you know, they, they gave off this you know, incredible sense of community, but I realized it looked great, it looked fun, and, and, and many people would just be just drawn into, wow, that's where it's really at. But it was just a, a, a selfish lifestyle. The, the purpose and destiny is, is it's not about us, there's other people at stake. And we want, we want you to, to understand that. Whatever God has got you doing right now, there's a purpose in it. At Victory, we believe that every member is a ministry, every member is a minister, and that every task is important, that every member has a gift in some area, be that helping in the church, 
You know, be it in the car park, the cleaning, the music, like I've already mentioned. Be it helping in the community. We want to talk more about what we want to do into the community. But there are incredible opportunities that are presenting themselves right now. You know, this notion that the church isn't doing much in the community, the church should be doing more, that's fine, but maybe he wants to use you. And maybe the reason we're not doing as much as we could is because people like yourselves are saying no and saying someone else should be doing it. But we do, we exist for that. We've got this, we've got this gym equipment that we received a government grant. And the, all the gym equipment is sitting in the room and it has not been used yet. It's an indictment on us. That there's $12,500 of gym equipment ready to be used for some programs for the underprivileged. And you'd think, man, an opportunity. And it's like just trying to ask someone to drink poison to help out. It's crazy. I love the fact that Sally, before she was a Christian, was in jail. And the drugs and the whole story. She gets saved... And now she's back in jail, but for a different purpose. That's what it's about. I mean, that's a better testimony than she was in jail doing drugs. She got saved. Now she's in jail because she's doing drugs again. I mean, it's not, it's not the same. You're not going to clap that, are you? It's not like, yeah, woohoo. But you're tempted to purpose and it just draws a clap out of us. It's just kind of like... You know, and sometimes the harder and the more difficult and the greater the opposition, the greater the story becomes, like with David and Goliath. What makes the story of David and Goliath so great is that David was so small and Goliath was so big. That's what makes the story great. But some people, they're going to go to God and they're going to have nothing to share. What did you do? Nothing. The longer I was on planet Earth, the more lukewarm I became, the less I got involved. That'll be our testimony. And I'm jealous for you. I want you to be able to stand confidently before the throne room of grace and receive reward upon reward as we get involved and embrace our purpose. It could be just through using your gifts, but not just for yourself. You know, I'm not a conventional father in that I will sit down and have Bible devotions with our kids. That's not kind of my style, but I'm a great, I like teaching in life and I'll use every moment to teach. And the other day, um, my daughter, who's a little master chef in the making, she, she made this Toblerone cheesecake. Now, my daughter loves cooking and she loves eating what she cooks. The, the testimony could be this. She made a Toblerone cheesecake and ate it all herself. And did that week after week, which is a metaphor for how many Christians live their lives. But she was aware of a particular family in our church who had lost a loved one and, and she made this cheesecake for a special young man. His name's Jason. And got it to him. And he phoned up myself to say, hey, I just want to say thank you to Jordan for making that cake. And I said, well, actually, mate, I'm on speakerphone and she's in the car with me. Tell her yourself. And she says, Jordan, that cake was unbelievable. It was so nice. It was the nicest cheesecake I've ever cooked, ever, 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 ever eaten, blah, blah, blah. And she went on and on. And I watched Jordan's face. 
get bigger and bigger, happier and happier. And so he hung, he hung up and figured about it. I said, Jordan, uh, how did that phone call make you feel? She says, incredibly good. And I said, sweetie, you never ate the cake. It cost you something to make it. It cost you time, effort, and energy. And yet you felt happier than when you've just eaten it yourself. I think that's what it means by it's better to give than receive. And I said, sweetie, you're operating in New Testament Christianity. It's using your gifts to be a blessing to others. Simple as that. It's not hard. The problem with us is we, we know too much. We've hung around long enough to get disappointed enough so we don't put ourselves in the game anymore. It's not without reason I've spent these two weeks on this subject because of what I really want to share the weeks after that. I know this week and next week will motivate you to want to do something. But I also know that the motivation you receive over the next two weeks will not be enough to sustain what it is you really want to do. And so within three weeks or four weeks, having put into practice some things that you have been motivated to do, you'll be at the end of yourself again in a very short period of time. Paul says it this way in Romans 7. Why is it that I do what I don't want to do? And what I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who knows that to be true? But it doesn't stop there for Paul. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. And what did Christ Jesus give us? Many things. But one thing that we often neglect that he gave us was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which is not a thing, and it's not a something, it's a someone. And I want to talk after this series on this forgotten aspect of the Godhead. Because without the Holy Spirit, all this motivation you'll receive today and next week will be lost within three or four weeks. And you'll find yourself saying it's too hard. We was at Hillsong this year and it was awesome listening to testimony after testimony of this person's life changed, that person's life changed. You've heard that this morning, this person's life changed, that person. But you know what? For every one of those that we talk about, there's 10 that said no. There's 10 that might have thrown a punch. There's 10 that said, get out of my face, you religious. But it's the Holy Spirit that's going to give you the power and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the self-control to keep on doing it so that you get one after one after one after one after one after one. So you no longer see the 10, the 15, the 20, the 100 that rejected you, but we have our eyes on the purpose of why we exist. I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit from a Pentecostal perspective because that is my background. That's not the point. We don't need another Pentecostal experience. That's not what we need. We need the person of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and empower us. 
Some of you tongue speakers out there, of which I am one, are sitting there thinking, yeah, I know we've got it. That's what I've been saying for ages. No, I know just as many weird, wacky, useless tongue-speaking Christians as non-tongue-speaking <laughs> Christians. Tongues or not tongues is not the answer. It's the reality of the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit at work in your life today. And tomorrow, it'll be the same thing. The power of the reality of the person of the Holy Spirit in your life tomorrow. That's where victory's found. That's where it's found. It's in an ongoing relationship with Him. In Acts chapter 2, there was an incredible baptism of fire. Speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit came. But the same group of people in Acts chapter 4 and in the same upper room getting filled again because they'd given out. And when you give out, you better get filled again. And when you give out, you better get filled again. Paul says, I pour myself out and I pour myself out and I pour myself out and I pour myself out. And when I feel like giving up, I pour myself out. Why could he say that? Because in between the pouring himself out, he'd get filled up. I pour myself out, I get filled up. I pour myself out, I get filled up. I pour myself out, I get filled up. If you embrace what I'm saying, there's a lot of pain coming your way. There's a lot of misery coming your way. There's a lot of tears coming your way. There's a lot of hurt coming your way. Oh, but there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of fruit and there's a lot of incredible stories coming your way. The thing I don't like about Pentecostalism is that we hype up everything. And we say, if you pray, you will be healed. That is not what the Bible says. It's a windy day today. That's all that is. It's a very windy day. <laughs> it's an extremely windy day. Thank God for this building. Amen. Someone who's read the book of Acts says, no, that's the Holy Spirit blowing on us. Maybe. I don't know, maybe. But you know, when we started this church, let me close with this thought. I was sick to death of the low-level realities of Christianity. And I had this thought in my heart, I want a center of victorious Christians. And some people say, yeah, that's right. We want to be on the winning side. Well, victory in Christian terms can look a little bit different than victory in the world. This is true victory, and this is what we've seen in our church. And I want to demonstrate it next week with some people coming up here. Since I've been tithing, I've been blessed. Since I've been tithing, nothing's changed. But going to keep doing it because I love God. That's victory. They're both victory. I prayed and my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, my friend was healed. Yes, victory. Some of you are going, I think I know where he's going with this. I prayed and we buried them. The Lord gives and he takes away, but my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. It's Mitchy having no fingers on his hand. Been told to be put to death in the womb because he could be a real Mongol. They're using all this language. 
We said, Lord, you give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. We'll take what we get. And if he's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life, and we have to feed him for the remainder of his days, by your grace, we'll do that. As it is, a young punk only came out with a few fingers missing. And he's learning to play guitar left-handed. What's victory? Fingers growing or a young lad just getting on with life? They both are. They both are. In actual fact, the doctor said, hey, what we could do, we could perform an operation where we take two of his toes, put them on his fingers, on his hand to give him a little bit of use. And I thought, you know, Lord, it sounds good, but I don't like the thought of that. I said, it'd be just my luck. This is what I thought. I had a, it'd be just my luck that I would do that operation and then God would heal him and he'd have five fingers and two toes. <laughs> and I couldn't live with that. That reminder that, leave it to God. I just could not. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine me saying, what happened to your hand? Oh, my dad kind of thought he'd take into, matters into his own hands. I couldn't live with that. We've got some incredible stories. And some of them look like just God coming through. Others look like it's, it just looks like people looking up. But they're both victory. If you only knew, if you only knew, if you only knew what Sally Ann's been going through. Many of you don't even know that. Because they love you too much not to put stuff on you. But they've made themselves accountable to a handful of people. But when you find a lump and you get a scare, and yes, it's what they thought it was, and now you've got to have treatment, and she's been having treatment for the last six weeks, and you would not know. Where's God healing her? I'll tell you where God is, in the peace, the joy, the focus, the purpose, in just getting on with life. What's more miraculous, Jesus sleeping in the storm or Jesus calming the storm? I think it's that thought of Jesus sleeping being so at one with God, the Father, being so peaceful with God that he can actually sleep in the midst of the storm. I think that's miraculous. Seeing people who lose loved ones powering on and serving God all the days of their lives. Having Maria O'Callaghan in our church almost eight years after her husband passed away, going through the pain and all the questions and just hanging in there and now thriving in life. That's victory. Where's God? In Maria's life right now. Pentecostalism says, you know, it's God's will to heal you. You must be healed. And if you don't, just to justify our theology, you have to say, well, you lack faith. It's, it's wrong. It's wrong. Acts chapter 12, James gets killed. Peter gets miraculously released from prison. Was James lacking faith? I don't think so. I think God just had plans and purposes. All I know is Peter and James are in heaven with no regrets. That's all I know. Stand with me, church. I've been on holiday. I've kind of overstayed my visit by nine minutes now. Sorry. I wonder if I'd been on a desert island for 20 years and came back having only read the Bible, if I'd be so time restraint conscious. Probably not. Heavenly Father, help us, help us, help us. Yes. Left our own devices, we're as good as dead. 
but with you we can conquer all things. And I pray right now in this room, as we are motivated and inspired by the vision of fresh today, that you would come in like a flood and empower us to put into practice the things we really do want to do, Lord, but just often lack the strength. And I ask that right now in Jesus' name. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.